Okay, so we are continuing um, through our series in Colossians, and we're kind of going from chapter one into chapter two this morning. And the whole first chapter of Colossians is all about Jesus um, as the Son of God, and he's kind of the central focus of that first chapter. And if you haven't heard the talk that Taryn gave just a couple of weeks ago on Jesus um, and that middle section of chapter one, I strongly encourage you to go and listen to it. It was a brilliant talk um, and just so encouraging, so life-giving, so much um, wonderful truth in it. So please do go and listen to it if you haven't had a chance to listen to it this mor- um, after this morning. So this next section in chapter one is kind of all about Paul's mandate, his mission. Um, I've entitled this talk which you can't really see now that I'm looking at it. Um, A man with a message for many, because um, I'm an English teacher and I like a bit of alliteration. I'm sorry if I make that joke every single time. Um, But I do like a bit of alliteration. So this morning what we're going to be doing is we're just going to be looking at what Paul has to say about his um, mission and the message that God placed on his heart um, and the many people that he was encouraged to share that message with. Um, And that's kind of what we're going to be focusing in on this morning. I'm going to play around with the order of the title of my talk. We're not going to begin by looking at the man. We're going to look at the message first, um, just to jazz things up. But let's have a read of Colossians 1. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, we have Bibles dotted around the room. Um, It's a good Scottish word, isn't it? Dotted. Dotted around the room, and someone will pass one to you if you pop your hand up which might be a bit scary. Um, If you do not have a Bible with you at home, please feel free to take um, this Bible home with you. Oh, there's one here. Yeah, we've got one. Um, Please feel free to take this Bible home with you. We'd love it if you would just take it as a gift from us um, to you. So I'm going to try and move my hand. (laughs) Great. So Paul, uh, sorry, Colossians 1, um, uh, verse 24. Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So, um, in our world, we're probably quite familiar with people kind of proclaiming their music preferences, their actor preferences, their style preferences, um, and a whole bunch of different mediums and a whole bunch of different ways. Um, We're familiar with people labeling themselves. We've got 
believers, we've got Brexiteers, we've got hipsters, we've got goths, and all of these kind of proclamations tell us um, about the person's values, the things that they believe in, the passions that they might have. And in this passage here, we've got Paul proclaiming um, his passion, his message, his um, values. And it's a message that all of us get to share. It's a message of the gospel of Jesus. And it's the mystery revealed and maturity for all. And we're just going to have a look at those two things just in the first part of this passage. And as I've been preparing this talk, I've been consistently coming back to the statement that Paul makes in verse 28. And he says, he is the one we proclaim. He is the one we proclaim. You know, Jesus, who he is and all that he's done was at the center of Paul's message. That's what he means when he says the mystery revealed. In verse 26, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this was something that was totally mind-blowing for the people at the time because Paul's writing to a whole bunch of people who'd grown up in a pagan culture with what they would call um, mystery religions. And kind of at the heart of those mystery religions was an experience of religion that you could only have if you kind of quite often put your body or your mind through a bizarre um, series of different um, kind of ex- uh, experiences or, or situations. And... All of these religions were underpinned by kind of complex sets of rules and encounters with God or encounters with their gods were only had in specific places of, or temples, specific places of worship. And so that's why what Paul is saying here, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is so um, mind-blowing because Jesus changes all of that. He changes all of it. There's no complex set of rules. There's no specific place that you have to be in. Access to God happens at any time, anywhere, freely, because of Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's that loud message that he's declaring, or that mystery revealed. He lives within us now, and that hope of new life with him exists now, and exists for us in eternity. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, when he's speaking about his death and his resurrection, he says this, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you, meaning the disciples, but also us, because we are his people, um, will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Christ in you the hope of glory. And what that means is that in Jesus, we have that total freedom um, from sin and a forgiveness for sin through his power. Through Jesus, we have a deep and intimate connection with God, always, everywhere we go. Not only when we're in a church on a Sunday and not only when we're doing things really well, crossing all our T's and dotting all our I's. He lives in us and that means something. The other night we had a prayer ministry kind of training session. Prayer ministry is something that happens within our church. It's um, one way that we kind of pursue the fullness of healing that God has for each one of us. And it's basically just getting together and praying for people for what God has to say to them. Um, But we had a training session the other night. And one of the things that we did was that we were asked to just bring our expectations that we might have of God um, to him. And just for him to be able to speak to us about our expectations. And so I did that. My head pictured bringing my expectations to Jesus. And then I just waited to see what it was that he wanted to show me. 
And the picture that I had in my head was just this like open vault. Um, and it was filled to the top with um, all these bars of like gold bullion. Is that how you say it? Bullion? Does everyone know what I'm talking about? These great big thick slabs of gold, yeah? And it was just piled, piled high. Um, what I don't think God was saying in that was that, um, that suddenly there was going to be a whole pile of gold that was going to appear in my life. But what I do think that he was saying through that is that through him, through Jesus, all the treasures of heaven are available to each one of us. So through Jesus, all the treasures of heaven are available to each one of us. Through Jesus, we have a deep and intimate connection with God always. We're not distant. We're not far away. We're not cut off. We get to know God personally. Christ in you. Jesus lives within us. We get to live as his children now and not just in eternity. You know, the gospel of Jesus is good news for our lives now. All of that treasure of heaven available now and not just after death. We can experience his forgiveness. We can experience his healing. We can experience his peace. We can experience his presence. We can experience his wholeness now and not just um, in eternity. So the first part of Paul's message, that mystery revealed, Christ in you. We have become God's place where he lives and where he meets with his people. But the second part of that message is maturity for all. No. No, back a slide, back a slide. Um, So maturity for all. So he'd been revealed and he'd said that Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it wasn't simply that that message would be shared. It was also that it would grow. That the hearts and the minds of the people in Colossae and in Ephesus and Corinth and all the earth would know and would grow in their knowledge and understanding of who God is um, in their lives. You know, Paul was sharing the message of the gospel, not just so that the church would grow in number, but so that they would grow in understanding of who Jesus was. The church in Colossians was a really small church. It was quite young. So it was people who were brand new to faith. And basically what he's sharing with them is his heart that not only is it amazing and wonderful and brilliant that they've come to know Jesus, but he wants them to grow in that. He wants them to gain even better understanding, even more understanding of who God is. And in verse 28, he says, through admonishing and teaching, we might that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then again in verse in two two to four, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And I totally love that word full, that full word. And it reminded me of Ephesians three, where Paul prays for the Ephesians, and he says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, Christ in you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. You know, that word full, he uses it three times, fully, fully mature, full riches, the fullness of God. You know, we spend our lives here on earth growing in our understanding and our knowledge of who Jesus is. And we're not just taking little, he wants us to be filled up, full, completely full, filled over, brimming over with all that God has for us now in Jesus and in eternity. 
Um, many of you will know that Scott and I are the proud parents, probably two proud parents, um, of Evelyn, who is nine months old, which means she can go to Mad Minis. Um, it's a very exciting day for us. So, Evelyn, she's nine months, and we have one of the greatest joys for us over the last nine months has been to just witness her growth and her changing. You know, when she first arrived, she was this tiny, tiny little baby who couldn't even hold her own head up, and we were like genuinely terrified about changing, changing her nappy. Are we going to break her? She was so fragile, and you know, we've watched her as she's learned, you know, to um, sit up. She's learned to roll over. She's chubbed out a little bit and grown. She's not skinny and scrawny anymore. And she has started now to um, pull herself up to standing. And this morning, um, she was trundling, trundling along with this little walker, starting to begin to take her first steps. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing to watch her grow physically. But perhaps like even more than that is just to be able to witness her growth and her understanding. You know, when she recognizes people and she recognizes us and she started like those little babbling words where, unfortunately for me, she's like, da, 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 da. Always the favorite, Scott. <laughs> you know, she's growing in her understanding, not just of um, her, what her physical body can do, but her understanding of her world and who we are and who she is. And it's a joy. It's an absolute joy to watch. And you know, Paul's message, which is Jesus' message to each one of us, is that there's maturity for all of us. You know, he doesn't want us to stay little babies, just knowing a little bit of, you know, this is how much is in front of my face. He wants us to be able to see from the mountaintops. He wants us to be able to sit up. He wants to be able to see us walk. He wants to be able to see us run into the fullness of all that he's got for us. And so there's a commitment from us to say, yeah, God, I know that you've got more for me. I know that there's a fullness of you and I want it. And we can push forward for that. And I think actually when I was praying about this and I prayed about this part of this message, I really felt that actually for some of us here this morning, we feel like um, that maturity isn't possible in some areas of our lives. We actually think, oh, we're just going to stay like little babies. We're not going to grow up in our faith for praying for people. We're not going to grow up in our desire to be free from that addiction, that we're just going to stay in that place. And actually that's not true for you this morning. Maturity is for all of us. And the fullness that we have in Jesus is for all of us. So Paul was a man with a message, and that message was the mystery revealed, Christ in you, and maturity for all. But who is that promise for? Um, And I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but it was a message for all people. Next slide. (laughs) You know, all people, no exceptions. Everyone's included. Um, In verses 26 and 27, he says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. And what he's doing is he's really quickly getting rid of that idea that the reality of freedom and fullness in Jesus was only available to a select few of people. And again, it's coming back to that. um, He's writing to a church who were predominantly their experience of faith, their experience of religion, had been the mystery religions. And part of that, as I've already said, was that they had to perform certain tasks. Um, And often it was only an elite group of people who could perform these certain tasks in order to get closer to God. And what Paul's saying here is that that is not true in Jesus. Religion and all that Jesus is 
is not only for an elite few of people, it's for all of us. I was preparing this talk and I was reminded of the film Now You See Me. Has anyone seen it? A handful of people. Okay, I'll try really hard not to spoil it. Try to remind myself not to give it away. But essentially the kind of the premise of this movie is that there are four um, illusionists, if you will. So these kind of magicians who create these like brilliant illusions that amaze people. Um, and what they do is they're kind of recruited by this anonymous group of people um, to perform these um, outlandish kind of illusions and basically what it is is they're kind of it's like an elaborate bank heist if you will put it that way and what they have to do is they have to perform three kind of different um, tasks before they are recognized as being these brilliant illusionists and gradually each task gets harder and harder and harder until they manage to well until they complete the final task um, and only once they complete the final task will they be allowed to be part of this elite group of illusionists within the world you know they, um, and this I guess loosely not loosely they have to perform all these tasks that get gradually more and more difficult um, and only then are they accepted that is not the case for the gospel Paul makes it clear. Before Jesus, the knowledge of God was only available to a few. And we've read that. We've looked at that in Exodus where God chose his people. But the knowledge of God now is not just available to a select group. It's available to all of us. And as one commentator, when I was reading, put it, it's no longer inclusive, but it's inclusive. So everyone gets to be part of it. The gospel is for all people. It's for all people. We don't get to decide who's worthy of Jesus' forgiveness. And we don't get to decide who's invited to the party. Because the invite of Jesus is given to everybody. It's given to absolutely everybody. And it's not a really difficult task. It's that we just say yes to him and we say yes to his presence in our lives. We don't have to meet a standard of perfection before we can enter into that relationship with him. You know, it's not just the rich and the famous. It's not just the people who seem really well put together who get to know Jesus, who get to be invited into the, the message of the gospel. It's everybody. And just as I was praying about this this morning, I wonder how many of us have maybe made the decision for our neighbours that we maybe think, actually, they're not ready yet to hear the gospel. And actually, we've maybe made that decision for them. Maybe we're not sure. We can't really see how they would fit in. And so we're a bit scared to share the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is for all people. But I wonder also how many of us here are still trying to perform this outstanding trick to get into the inner circle with God. We're already there. You know, Christ in you. Jesus lives in each one of us. When we say yes to him, yes to relationship with God, Jesus lives within us. Do you know, you're... God's not expecting you to perform some outstanding miracle before you're acceptable to him. You're already acceptable because of Jesus. So we've got this message of the mystery revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory, maturity for every one of us, for every one of us, no exceptions, no exclusions, everyone's invited, everyone's invited. And it brings us just to our last part in this passage this morning to the man, the man himself. Um, and I've called this one, Servants Suffer and Strive. 
I have found it impossible to read this passage, and I have wrestled with this passage um, in my preparations, but I've found it impossible to read it and not be struck by this man, Paul. You know, a servant of God. He says that in this passage, that he's a servant of the church, and he serves the church because he serves Jesus, and he loves the church because he loves Jesus. And he's widely recognized as the author of this letter, and this letter is part of a group of letters that are known as kind of the captivity letters or the prison letters, um, and they're believed to have been written by Paul when he was in prison. They're not, people are not really sure where he was in prison, but he was in prison when he wrote these um, letters. Why does that matter? <laughs> What's even the point of mentioning that? Well, it matters because of the words that this man uses in this letter. Because we don't find in Colossians a man who's bitter. We don't find a man who's knackered. We don't find a man who's resentful. We don't find a man who's weakened. And we don't find a man who's fed up with God. We don't find that. We find a man who's rejoicing. We find a man who's encouraged. We find a man who's filled with love and compassion for the people he's writing to and the people that he's preaching to. And we find a man filled with the hope of Jesus and not even his present situation can bring him down. And how is that possible? You know, all of us are probably looking at him thinking, he's Superman. He's not Superman. Paul was a man. He was a man who received the message of Jesus. And so I think that there are two truths that Paul kind of holds on to in the midst of this circumstance that we can then take and apply and to help shape our own um, hearts and our own attitudes. So the first thing is, I've said, you know, servants suffer. Paul had embraced his suffering. The suffering that he was experiencing, he knew was temporary and he knew that it was also part of the gig. Does everyone know what I mean when I say part of the gig? kind of like part of the job, goes along with the job. Does that make sense? Okay. Blank faces are worrying me. Yes, nodding faces. Great. So he says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And that might seem a bit weird at first, because when we read it, it sounds like he's suggesting that he has to make up somehow with his own suffering um, to the suffering of Jesus. But it's actually, what he's saying there is really similar um, to what he says in 2 Corinthians. And this is what he says um, there in 2 Corinthians 1.5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Jesus himself puts it really clearly. Um, John fifteen eighteen, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so Paul knew that. Paul knew that. That suffering was part of his job description. And so rather than rallying against it, he embraced it. Because he knew that it meant um, that everything he ever hoped for was true that he was making a difference for Jesus and that he was sharing Jesus' message with the world. It doesn't make suffering any easier when we're experiencing it for the sake of, of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And for some of us this morning, we're maybe sitting here and we're painfully aware of the fact that um, our family or our friends consistently ridicule us or criticize us for our faith. Maybe we're feeling the isolation at work Um, because people treat us differently because they know that we're a Christian and maybe we find ourselves kind of the butt of all the jokes and that can be hard. If that is you this morning, we'd just love to pray for you at the end of the service that you can receive some of that joy um, that Paul had in suffering for the sake of Jesus. 
So servants suffer. The second part is that Paul knows that tough work is sustained by the Holy Spirit. Um, I love this bit. In, in verse 29, he says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. And that word that's used in verse 29, strenuously contend, contend what it actually means is like uncompromising hard work. Um, or a more familiar word for all of us might be striving. He's striving um, in every part um, for, to make the gospel known. And it's not striving in the sense that we maybe normally hear that word, where we're trying really hard to make ourselves acceptable. What he's meaning when he says, I strenuously contend, is he's saying, I'm giving this my very, very best. I'm giving it my very, very best. I'm not giving it my mediocre leftovers. Um, one of the great wonders of maternity leave or perhaps having a newborn baby although you may be starved of sleep for days on end and nobody really tells you that (laughs) you will be starved of sleep for days on end what you do get to do is watch countless hours of box sets which is um, a brilliant joy and I very much enjoyed that part of having a tiny newborn baby I discovered the joys of Downton Abbey any other Downton Abbey fans here? Yeah. Scott had to remind me on a regular basis that I did not live in the big house and that he was not one of the butlers of the big house um, when we were watching it. But Downton Abbey was one of the things that I discovered in that new phase of having Evelyn. But another thing, I got to rediscover some old classics and I made my way through the Rocky series. Has anyone watched Rocky here? Maybe this is showing my age. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, Rocky, Rocky Balboa, for those of you who have not um, encountered him, the legend that is, <laughs> the legend that is, Sylvester Stallone, um, on screen, you have to go and watch it, okay? I'll give you that, um, that's your task for next week, is to go and watch the Rockies. Anyway, all that blabbering to say, I watched the Rocky series, and essentially every single Rocky movie has the same plot, Okay. I will tell you that, but it's still worth watching. Every one of them has a montage sequence, which is still worth watching. But essentially the plot is this, is that Rocky has to kind of face up to some, you know, contender that he couldn't, even in his wildest dreams, begin to think that he would be a match for. But through pain, determination, perseverance, and hard work, he gets himself to the point where he's this absolute machine, um, and he becomes this fantastic opponent for these contenders that he has to face. And he doesn't give a half-hearted effort in any of the Rockies with the exception of Rocky Three. Okay, that's a little spoiler for you, but I won't go into that. So he puts his whole self into it. He pain, determination, perseverance, hard work, and he becomes an opponent um, worth uh, reckoning with. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say a slight loud, but I'm just going to. So Paul himself has a bit of the Rocky Balboa about him. So he applies his full effort the very best of himself, the very best of himself to the task that God has given him. He doesn't just put in a half-hearted effort. He doesn't just put on a good show. He puts in his absolute best. Um, One commentator puts it like this. He does not go about his work half-heartedly, hoping vaguely that grace will fill in the gaps. Nor does he imagine that it's all up to him and burn himself out with restless, anxious toil. But what he does know is that he knows that he brings his best to God. 
He brings his best to God. And that the tough parts of his job, the tough parts of his ministry, the tough parts of his calling, the tough parts of his life, he is going to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says that in verse 29, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. All the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So he's that servant who suffers and he strives. He gives his absolute best to God, knowing that his spirit will sustain him. And so there's a simple reminder there for us this morning. You know, I wonder, um, where's God not getting our best? Where's God not getting our best? And where can we um, just meet with him again this morning and say, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my whole heart into this area, into this thing that you're calling me to. Let's stand, shall we?